0: This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're joining us today This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Shoot Photography. This is a really cool service where you just book a 30 minute session and it is free of charge. And then when you get your photos back, you can decide how many of those photos you wanna purchase. You can buy the whole package for $295 and you usually get like 100, 150 photos or you can just buy individually. The photos start at $15 per photo and then if you buy five or more, you get a discount. This is such a simple way to schedule a quick session with your family, a maternity session, photos that you can use for your Christmas card, such an easy way to get great photos at a really good price and no booking fee. This is a woman owned business and I just had our family pictures taken last Sunday, already got them back the next day, and I'm really excited about how they turned out. You can check those out on our Instagram page, Why Is Everyone Yelling? We have them posted there, a handful of them. So when you go to shoot.com, that's S-H-O-O-T-T.com, and book your session. They're in almost every major market in the United States. Book your session, get it on the schedule, and then when you get your photos back, you can use the code SandyBoy for 15% off when you purchase five or more photos. Go check it out and check out our Instagram, why is everyone yelling, to see how some of our family pictures turned out with shoot photography. All right, today's episode is episode 82 and my guest is Dr. Lori Kramer. Dr. Lori is a licensed clinical psychologist She is a professor of applied psychology at Northeastern University, and she is the creator of More Fun with Sisters and Brothers program, which is a program that teaches four to eight-year-old children the key social and emotional competencies that research has shown are critical for fun, friendly, and low-conflict sibling interaction. Isn't that what we all want? (laughs) Low-conflict sibling interaction. So I have some questions for Dr. Lori in this episode as this is something that we struggle with in my home and she has some steps that are really simple that helped me and I hope will help you work through some of these conflicts a lot of things I'm learning on this podcast is that I need to apply these skills to my own life (laughs) as well as teach them to my children. So I hope that you learn from Dr. Lori as much as I did and check out her program. If this is something you're interested in, uh, working on getting your kids to get along a little bit better. Uh, this is a program that's free and you can apply on her website, which is really cool. The link to all of that to apply to her program and everything we talked about will be in the show notes at sandyboyproductions.com. And actually, when you go to sandyboyproductions.com and click on the link to Why Is Everyone Yelling this podcast, you can just enter your email and sign up to be a part of our newsletter. We email the show notes out every single week. And that way, if there's anything we talked about, you can just get that delivered to your inbox I don't spam you that's pretty much all we send out once a week it's very very rare that we send out anything else um, so anyway I hope that you get as much out of this episode as I did and if you did enjoy it please leave us a rating and review and share it with any friends or family members that you think might enjoy as well uh, all right enjoy my conversation with Dr. Lori Kramer all right friends Today on Why Is Everyone Yelling? podcast, we have a discussion that I am so excited about because it is one of the things that I struggle with most in my parenting. Today, we are talking with Dr. Lori Kramer. She is a professor of psychology at Northeastern University. Dr. Lori, thanks for coming to the show. Thanks so much
1: for inviting me, Lindsay. Uh,
0: Okay. So first, can you just give us a little bit of background on the research you do and where you work currently? I
1: am a professor of applied psychology at Northeastern University in Boston. I do research and have been doing research for many years, trying to understand what makes children's sibling relationships tick. Um, I'm trying to understand what are the factors that influence the qualities of these relationships? And then most importantly, what can we do to help brothers and sisters get along better? So my work is really geared towards helping children directly and helping parents help their kids learn skills and competencies that are going to help them get along better.
0: Oh, my gosh. This is just so good because I think as parents we go from, you know, newborn babies, tired all the time, this is so hard for so many reasons, to having a toddler, and then once that baby gets a little bit bigger, the two toddlers start kind of fighting and picking at each other what's age appropriate, what isn't, and then it gets even more intense. My oldest is nine, my youngest is three, and those bigger kid fights are way more intense than the little kid fights. So I guess let's start with age appropriate fighting and things like Mm -hmm. that. So can you just walk us through like that toddler stage?
1: Yeah, well, toddlers are toddlers. It's really (laughs) hard.
0: (laughs) Uh, You know, it's it's
1: a stage where, as you know, um, young people are trying to express themselves. They're trying to get their needs met, but yet they're really limited in their ability to communicate. So it's really hard um, to let people know what they need. So it's hard for parents to figure that out and and try to address those needs as well. They also have a really difficult time managing their own emotions. (laughs) They have big feelings, even though they're little people. And so, uh, you know, we know that it's just really difficult for them with the communication limitations to really figure out how to express themselves, how to let people know um, that they're hurting, that they are in need, that they're frustrated, that they're angry. And so we can see that coming across in their behaviors. And sometimes those behaviors are, are tantrums. Sometimes they're acting out towards the parent. But a lot of times they're acting out towards a sibling who seems to be a pretty safe target. Um, As I say that, I also want to emphasize the fact that there's also a lot of positive stuff going on. Even with young toddlers, they adore their siblings. They feel really connected to them. They love them. Um, The goal is how to make those positive moments happen a lot more frequently than the negative.
0: So... I remember when my oldest was, you know, like three and he started doing behavior that I thought was just wild and crazy. And how could he act like that? And, you know, as I've experienced this a little bit longer and I have have four kids now, I see those things were normal. So when our younger kids do start hitting siblings or arguing with siblings over what seems to be everything and we are feeling crazy. At that young age, that like two, three, four age, um, what are some simple ways we can jump in to try to guide?
1: Great, great question. So for some of the less severe types of behaviors, you know, the arguments, the nasty looks, those sorts of things, I think parents can simply comment upon what's going on Mm. you know just a, a low pressure kind of hmm things are not working quite as the way that i would think they would um you know how can we behave nicely to one another that sort of low level intervention if you start seeing things that are a little bit more serious and worrisome hitting saying negative nasty things hurtful things I think it's really important for parents to jump in at those moments and very calmly say something like you know in this family we just don't talk to each other like that and model more appropriate ways to talk to one another maybe you're frustrated that you couldn't you know play the game or you know your your brother has you know the crayon that you wanted help them find the words so that they can ultimately communicate with one another and tell them what they want or need. Um, in our program, More Fun with Sisters and Brothers, one of the first things that we do, this is what kids that are closer to four, is to help them you know, stop what they're doing that is problematic, help them to think about what's happening at that moment. What do they really want? What's, what's their goal at that moment? And then talk. How can they let their sibling or their parent know what's on their mind, what's bothering them, what they really need. And through that simple stop, think and talk, we can help kids develop a lot more control over their own behaviors and emotions. And that's what we're really looking to do because over time, as you said, Lindsay, it gets really exhausting always having to jump in and be the mediator or to prevent kids from doing things that are hurtful to one another. Really what we want to do is invest the time and energy when kids are young to help them learn what to do with one another, how to have fun with one another, how to talk to one another, and how to deal with the fact that frustrations are going to come up, or brothers and sisters, there's limited resources, we all live in the same house, things are not always going to go our way. What can we do in those situations to make things work out better? for all of us. And it really usually comes down to controlling one's behavior and learning how to communicate what you need.
0: Yeah. And and you're so right about like the exhaustion piece. I mean, I so so much of me wants to just pull the just figure it out between the two of you card. Right. But I know teaching those skills first has to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And it's like, gosh, I'm just trying to I'm thinking of, you know, a parent who's home with their multiple kids and just feeling so stressed out and crazy in the moment. And, you know, sometimes we're just like, you go this way, you go this way. Separate yourselves. You know, what are your feelings on that? Sometimes in the moment, I feel like I have to do that or else I'm going to fly off the handles.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think, number one, you have to take care of yourself. As a parent, this is a stressful job. This is a very challenging job. Trying to help, you know, two or more kids um, who don't have a lot of, you know, language yet, don't don't have a lot of control over their emotions, aren't really the most rational thinkers. This is really, really tough. And so, you know, there's going to be some times where you see things are happening. You really should jump in and try to help the kids work things out. But you're just exhausted, and that's okay. Give yourself a break. But when you do feel like you've got some resources, some time, you're feeling a little bit relaxed and you see things going on with the kids, those are really teachable moments. And I think it's really important if you can find sometimes, not all the time, to try to help kids in the moment deal with a with problem, deal with a situation that they're dealing with. You know, we think that it's, it's so important for kids to have the skills to be able to manage conflicts before we let kids actually work out conflicts on their own. Just like what you just said, Lindsay, I think it's really, really important. Our research shows that for the most part, most kids under the age of eight do not automatically have all the skills that they need to be able to manage conflicts with a sibling. If they've been taught, if they've been through a program like ours, or parents have been very thoughtful and intentional about helping kids develop these skills and competencies to manage conflicts and to be able to communicate their thoughts and feelings. That might be a different story. But for the most part, just leaving kids alone to work out their disputes and they're young is probably not going to work. And in fact, when parents just don't intervene, we have seen through our research that the conflict is just likely to continue. And when it continues, it can escalate. It can get more intense and more potentially dangerous for kids as well. So until we know that they have those skills, try to try to help them try to help them develop that.
0: Okay. So here's my thought process. Now I'm like a big fan of the whole, like not over parenting thing, Uh, that you hear people talking about sometimes. And uh, I consider myself sort of a free range mom. And so I'm like, where is my line, right? Like, where is my line where I'm jumping in enough, but I'm also giving my kids freedom. And specifically, I do think about, you know, you're talking about these younger kids with my oldest, who's nine, and even my second oldest, who's seven. Like, Hopefully, by now, they have acquired those skills. But what about when they're not using those skills? And, yeah. I, and I don't want to jump in.
1: Well, you know, we know that non-intervention, when parents just pretend that nothing's happening, <laughs> is not usually going to lead kids to automatically resolve a conflict. We've seen that through our research. But when we know that kids do have the skills to be able to manage those conflicts, sometimes it's enough for parents to come in and say, oh, I'm hearing something's going on. I know you know how to manage this situation. I'm going to be down the hall. Come and get me if you need some help. But I have total confidence that you guys are going to be able to work this out. So it's what I call active (laughs) non-intervention. You're letting them um, figure it out and work it out. But they're not totally alone. What happens when parents just leave kids to their own devices and don't say anything? Kids assume that what they're doing is okay by their parents, that their parents approve and expect them to have these kinds of conflicts. And that's probably not the case. Better to acknowledge that you see that something's happening and, you know, give them autonomy to be able to to manage the situation, but yet know that you're there to help.
0: You know, it's interesting. I'm curious Teaching these methods how this translates to these kids as adults, not necessarily just with their siblings, but in their work environments, their roommate environments. I mean, that's one of the hardest transitions into adulthood is figuring out how to live with these other people that you, you know, didn't live with growing up. So I'm I'm curious if you guys have research on that. Like these skills have been taught. This is how this person transitions into the workforce and adulthood.
1: Yeah, we know that kids develop these skills like they've gone through a program like ours. Um, We have a lot of examples. We don't have great data on this, but we have a lot of examples where parents have come in and said, you know, um, we call them sibling steps in our More Fun with Sisters and Brothers program, but they'll say things like, you know, I saw my son trying to use the sibling steps with his friend when they were over with a play date. Or when I was at the University of Illinois, we had a child development laboratory there. And a teacher would call me on the phone and say, I could tell that this child had been through your program because he was trying to use these sibling steps with all the other kids in the class. Um, And kids and parents have even told me that the kids have told them, their parents, that they need to use their sibling steps when Mm. parents are having disagreements with one another, so they see the relevance. They understand that these are really life skills. We want them to use it with their brothers and sisters, but they actually work really well with with anyone. I don't know yet what the long-term impact of all of this will be. um, If it's true that learning these skills uh, are skills that kids carry into adult relationships, romantic relationships, work relationships, it would be really great to be able to, to know that, but the kids in my studies aren't, aren't that old yet.
0: Well, well, you'll have the data at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, I love that thought as well, because oftentimes in our house, we have about like 10 kids just running around our backyard. And I mean, just it kids fight, like kids, somebody accidentally hits someone on the trampoline and someone's hurt and, you know, things happen. And it is very interesting to see which kids kind of try to manage the the conflict you know who's who's kind of like in charge of that and it's it would be interesting to see to look back at their younger childhood to see what were you taught at this age this age this age to make you the conflict resolution person i'm sure some of it is probably a little bit natural tendencies right some people are more leaders than others some people don't like conflict based on their personality things like that but Um, surely your programs, like your program will help these kids. Now, can you break down the more fun with sisters and brothers program and what you all do?
1: Yeah. So this is a program for many years. I was offering it as a live program where we bring kids in between the ages of four to eight from about three or four different families and have a group setting, you know, a group session, Um, actually several sessions over time where we would teach the kids directly some basic skills that our research has identified as really important predictors of good sibling relationships. So a lot of the things I just talked about, those sibling steps of stop, think and talk. We also teach kids how to engage in perspective taking. You know, I think it's really important to be able to look at the world, not only in terms of what you want, But to also understand that all of your siblings have their own ideas and needs and preferences and opinions, and those are just as valid as yours. We also work with kids on developing some emotion regulation skills because we know how frustrating these relationships can be. So we teach kids a variety of strategies that they can use when they're feeling kind of overwhelmed uh, by the situation Um, and kids kids learn this really, really quickly. And then, you know, we end up putting all that together to help kids learn some basic skills in problem solving, conflict management. So conflicts are basically social problems. And I think it's a really good way to think about it because problems have solutions. And so we basically lead kids through um, a different systematic method of being able to each tell their side of a story. You know, they can each tell their perspective of what is going on what they need and basically engage in a problem solving activity to help them come up with a variety of potential solutions for them to try so we were doing this for many years as a live program and it you know the the data was really really positive this was really helping kids become more, um, you know, engage in more positive sibling relationships, we were also seeing because we'd have parents watch what the kids were learning so that they could bring it into the home and keep this learning up, which was really, you know, really important to the program. And parents were telling us that they felt better, that they felt more in control of their own emotions. Um, And we don't really know if it's because they were adopting these skills too, or because their kids were more positive with one another, was just making their life better. Um, So all those things are really, really um, very important components of the program. From there, from doing it as a live program, when I moved to Northeastern University about six years ago, I decided to offer this as an online program for parents. Mm. So now, um, parents who have kids between the ages of four to eight can participate What's really a research study slash program and um, learn how to teach these skills and competencies to their own children. And um, it's been really cool. I had no idea we'd have a pandemic and this would turn out to be a really good decision to do (laughs) all of this online. But it's been wonderful because we've been able to help families, well, during the pandemic when they were kind of stuck at home and and sibling relationships were really important that kids learned how to get along better. Uh, But we've also been able to reach families across the world who speak English. And that's been a really, really cool contribution as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, stop, think, and talk. I think, you know, obviously we can all, even as adults, use those methods. And I like how you said it made the parents feel a little bit more at peace and in control. Part of the reason I named this podcast, Why Is Everyone Yelling?, it wasn't, I mean, yes, my kids yell a lot, but it wasn't even about them. It was about me. Like I didn't want to yell all the time. I wanted to feel a little bit more at peace and, and calm because we all know that if, if mom or dad is calm, the kids will probably calm down quicker. Um. So yeah, it's like so much of this parenting is like some of the stuff is like us projecting our own Stuff onto our kids, so we can learn so much from what we teach them. Yeah,
1: and and these are skills that apply for everyone. Um, you know, I always joke about faculty meetings where, <laughs> you know, I've been successful in teaching four-year-olds how to manage conflict, and sometimes I feel like you know, there's groups of people that could also benefit, groups of adults who could really benefit from thinking about these skills and actually using them in a day-to-day fashion.
0: Hey friends, a quick break to share with you about a new product, a new sponsor for this podcast that I am loving, Portland Bee Balm. Beyond the amazing quality of their balm, Portland Bee Balm is committed to creating sustainable products, which is hugely important to me. They are members of 1% for the planet, which means they donate 1% of revenue to organizations tackling our planet's most pressing environmental issues. This is so cool. Products that are useful, natural, and add value to people's lives and the world. Portland Bee Balm provides the best hydration for your lips with clean and simple ingredients. Since I put balm on my lips multiple times throughout the day, it is so important to me that the products I'm using are clean and effective. Portland Bee Balm has so many different varieties of scents, but my favorite is the organ Mint. The ingredients they source and the packaging they use all support health and well-being to the environment and community. So awesome! Friends, go to portlandbeebalm.com and use the code SANDYBOY for 20% off your first order. All right, back to the show. So I'm curious in your research and the families that you've worked with, is there a big difference in like big families versus small families, Um, families that have my family, for instance, I have all boys like would the dynamics change if I had a couple of girls in that mix and things like that is is the are any methods different or anything you see from these families different when the circumstances have changed?
1: Yeah, we don't really know so much about that yet, but from some other research that I've done, you know, we've looked at some of the things that parents often talk about. They often talk about the difference of gender, you know, so I have two boys and a girl or whatever, and what impact does that have? They talk about the age spacing between their kids a lot, wondering if it really makes a difference. And the research shows pretty clearly that yeah, there can be some differences according to gender and age span, but not as much as looking at these kinds of skills and behaviors that kids engage in. And I think that's so important because um, there's really nothing you could do about the age spacing between your kids or their genders, right? We can't change that now, but every day we have the opportunity to help our kids develop more skills um, get a little bit better in looking at a situation from a sibling's perspective or getting more, a new skill and in, in being able to manage conflicts. These are things we can change. And I think it's so important because there's hope, you know, we can make these relationships better.
0: And I'm, I'm not trying to be corny, everybody, but I just read this book, Soundtracks by John Acuff. And one of the things he talks about in the book is like, you know, saying those things out loud. So, like you just said, there's hope. I mean, I I really truly think if you are in a situation right now, and I've been there, where you feel like you are losing your ever loving mind because your kids won't stop fighting, I I think you should go and look at yourself in the mirror and say that what Doctor Lori just said: there is hope. Because it feels hopeless sometimes. You're like, where have I gone wrong? What have I done to create this environment where my kids are screaming at each other all the time? And there's nothing harder on my heart than to hear my kid say to their brother like that they hate them. I'm like, where did you learn that word? Like, Where did you even learn that that could be part of your vocabulary? So I want to say that because I want you to know if you're listening that you're not alone and that I've experienced that and I guarantee so many other listeners have experienced their kids saying, really hateful things to each other. So Dr. Lori, I'm, I'm wondering, based on that whole spiel I just gave, if someone's feeling like they have lost hope, and they have lost control of their house and their kids, you're fighting all the time. What's the first thing you would say to them? Well,
1: I think what you just said is that noticing, observing what's going on is the first step. If you recognize that there's an issue, that there's a problem, that Boy, that's a really powerful first step. Seeking some help, I think, is really, really critical at this point because, first of all, it's probably not your fault. (laughs) Uh, Kids come into the world with their own personalities. You know, it's not all on you. But what can you do now? You're the parent. So, what can you do to help kids find a better way to relate to each other? And you know that the outcome is going to be not only that they have a stronger relationship maybe one that will last throughout their lives, but it's going to make you and your entire family a lot happier. So I'd say, um, you know, seek some resources. Sometimes books can be helpful. Um, If you have kids who are in the age range of four to eight, take a look at more fun with sisters and brothers. Um, Maybe that would be of some help for you, but maybe you really need professional help. Someone that is really going to be dedicated to understanding you and your family better, maybe a counselor, social worker, parent educator, uh, family therapist, whatever you're comfortable with. Those people can be remarkably helpful um, in lowering the temperature and helping to look at and, and really understand what the problem is, where are the issues, what needs to change, and then how can we use the research that's accumulating, how can we take some of those important findings and apply it to the unique needs of, of your family and, and, help, and help you do something? But I've seen time after time, there is hope. And what's really important, the research also shows that when kids start out early in life, not having a great relationship, It's likely to continue that way unless you do something about it. And that's why it's so important for parents to recognize this and take action, not get too freaked out about it. Because, you know, sometimes these things do get better on their own. But for the most part, paying attention to it, validating each child's uh, feelings and perspectives and helping them, you know, reset that relationship in a more positive way will help everyone in the family.
0: Yeah, I think that that's one of the tricky things is everybody has their own emotional scale or whatever it is. You know, some of my kids are way more hot tempered than others. And then some of them are just at a completely different age stage, right? Like an eight year old reacts to something different than a three year old. So as the parent, it's like figuring out what the recipe is for each kid. But I think if we go back to those that, that The basic framework that you've laid out, that's probably the starting point for each kid.
1: Yeah. Acknowledging the differences and similarities between kids is important and validating each individual child for who they are and what they bring to the family and really seeing that as precious. But moving the focus to relationships, I think, is really important. Because each child can, you know, pursue their own interests and needs, but what you really want to work on is how they can be together. How that can be fun, how that can be a rewarding relationship and a supportive relationship for each child.
0: Um One of the questions I had from a listener on Instagram was, um, how do we teach our kids that even though we fight sometimes, we have conflict, we're always going to have each other's backs. So I'm picturing like if one of your kids is getting bullied at school or, you know, something like that. And maybe you you got to school mad at your brother for something he did at home. But like you need to stand up for your brother and, and you would need to stand up for your friends too. But how mm-hmm. do we teach them that, you know, we have, I don't know if loyalties is the right word, but we need to take care of each other.
1: Yeah, I think that's a family value, right? That, um, you know, we expect everyone in the family to be supportive of one another, to try to really understand one another and to be there when somebody needs something, which could include, you know, a stress that's coming from the outside, be it peers or a teacher or you know, a coach or any kind of difficult situation. And we tend to see siblings doing that naturally, mm-hmm. sort of like an inside the family versus an outside of the family sort of thing. Kids can really have a knockdown, drag out fight um, within the family. Um, but the next morning it seems to dissipate, you know, they're at the breakfast table and they kind of just, you know, have let it let it go. And that's, that's good, that, that's okay, but they're still gonna be there for one another should something happen outside the family. I think this is a good moment to also talk about the fact that conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Kids learn a lot by engaging in conflict when, we, when it's constructive conflict, not destructive conflict. Destructive conflict is when it gets physically aggressive or really abusive or hurtful. Uh, but constructive conflict could be really any kind of conflict that leads kids to just sort of, you know, try to work it out in some respect or to just let it go without it escalating into some really bad forms of, of negativity. But through conflict, kids learn a lot of stuff. You know, first of all, you'll never learn how to how to deal with a conflict, how to manage a conflict if you never have one. Right. And um, learn how to manage all the difficult emotions that happen during conflict, which I think is really, really helpful. Better to feel overwhelmed or incredibly frustrated with a fight with your brother than, you know, with a, an eighth grader at school, right? Where um, you may want to just cry. <laughs> uh, that might not be, you know, a great social move uh, for a child. Um, but you, you learn so much. You learn about what's important to you. You learn about what you feel you want to stick up for. What, what beliefs, ideas, needs, goals you feel are really, really important. So there's a lot there about identity development as well as you know, learning some of the mechanical skills for how to handle yourself in a conflict.
0: You know, one of the conflicts I always think about, like when I think back to my own childhood, is the whole like – in the car, like she's touching me situation. (laughs) Like I remember that so much. And, um, I had, I had two sisters growing up and I was right in the middle. And I mean, I I always say my boys fight really physically, but I remember getting physical with my sisters. Like I, you know, I don't necessarily think that's a total gender thing. I do think that our house might be a little more rough than a house full of four girls, but, um, I remember getting physical, but, Uh, We do a lot of road trips with our our kids and, you know, that can be really challenging to be in the car with four kids. And when there is a conflict, it's like, oh, we are in a very small space. So maybe I think that's such a common conflict. Let's let's hit that. Like, let's let's break a conflict like that down. Like he's touching me. He's crossing over to my seat. Things like that. What would your first approach be?
1: (laughs) Well, we actually—I had a student group actually do a little project on conflicts in the car because I thought it's really common, as Mm -hmm. as you said, and and a lot of this was before um, you know we had car seats. You know, we're enforced. Oh, sure. Whatever. Now even harder. Right. Without car without car seats in the back, it was a lot worse. But you'd still hear things with car seats, like, mommy's looking at me, like, <laughs> you know, since when is that a federal offense? Yeah. She'll to look at you. Um, but I do think that, you know, you are in a small space, your parents feel really trapped. They don't want to listen to this for hours upon hours or even 10 minutes, you know, that's that's just a lot. And so, you know, here's where I think the stop, think, and talk can be really, really helpful. Um, because you can, you know, the stop part is so important because it really inhibits some impulsive responses. Mm -hmm. So for a parent just to say, oh, it's getting really, you know, a little noisy back there. What is going on? Let's use our sibling steps or whatever you want to call it. What's, you know, and, and I do this thing with kids where we ask them to tell us what the steps are rather than us telling them what the steps are because we want them to take control over this so if you frame it that way all you really need to say is you know once kids are used to this paradigm of what's the first step and they'll say stop and you know then you've got it you know i (laughs) love that (laughs) that's a success uh and then you can lead them through the the rest of what's okay we stop what's the next thing to do and i'll tell you to think and you know that requires a parent usually to say okay what do we need to think about And they can, you know, usually if they're over the age of three, four, they can they can meaningful, meaningfully participate in that conversation. And and really where you're going is is getting them to talk to one another about what's bothering them um, so that they can lay it out there and then take a look and then try to work out what the problem is.
0: I love giving them the ownership. I just anytime I do that, it seems to be. A little. When I remember, you know, when I remember and then I give myself a little <laughs> pat on the back, like, oh, they like yeah. the ownership. They like being the leader. It's like when you trick your kid into um, cleaning up, you're like, wouldn't it be so cool if all the shoes were lined up on the stairs nicely? You know, they got to be kind of young to pull that one. I just had my yeah. three-year-old doing that last night and he was so excited to line the shoes up and I just felt like I won. <laughs> I won.
1: <laughs> it.
0: Hey everybody, a quick break here to thank Card My Yard for supporting this podcast. If you are looking to celebrate someone special in your life. Card My Yard is the original franchise yard greeting service. And if you don't even live close to someone, but you want to send them some love, say your parents have an anniversary or your niece or nephew has a birthday and you just want to send them some special love, you can use Card My Yard in their city. They have franchises all over the country. My son is turning 10 in June. And so I cannot wait to put this little sign in our front yard. What I love about it is then, this is fun all the neighbors who walk by, like they can see it and wish him a happy birthday. It just makes him feel special. And I feel like 10 a really big birthday. So really excited about that. And if you want to save $5 on your next purchase with Card My Yard for a birthday, anniversary, graduation, celebration, anything at all, go to CardMyYard.com. Use the code C-M-Y-5-Y. That's W. H Y C M Y five and the word why check it out and go support a sponsor of this podcast. Sponsors are what keep this show running. So when you support a sponsor, it lets them know that people are listening. Thank you so much. Card my yard. Thank you listeners for supporting this podcast and card my yard. And I hope you enjoy the rest of my conversation. Um, Okay. One more example. This happens all the time. This is so funny because my kids love stuffed animals. I don't know if stuffies are on the comeback, but even my nine year old, he loves his stuffies. And we were just loading up in the car to get on a 12 hour road trip just this past weekend. And um, they were all fighting over who had what stuffy. And it's like, oh my gosh. And what I really want to do is Be like, do you really care? Like, this is not a big deal. Like, blah, blah, you know, because to you, it's not a big deal. But I have to remember to them, it is a big deal, even if it feels silly. How do I distribute these stuffies and stop the fight?
1: Well, I think the same principles apply here. Yeah. So point out to the kids, I'm seeing a lot of, you know, unnecessary discussion about who's going to get which stuffy what's going on, or you can take it from another perspective of how are we gonna mm. how are we gonna make this choice? How are we gonna do this in a way that everybody's you know happy or maybe not happy but you know feels okay about it and ask them to come up with a method. I like that. So kids are really good at saying, okay, well well, you know, this is the prized stuffy We'll take turns, you know, you have it for 10 minutes, you have it for 10 minutes, you have it where, you know, you'll have it going, you'll have it coming back, whatever. They're going to be able to come up with something that you can work with. Again, the ownership is theirs. Um, you're there to point out the issue, to remind them this is a moment in time to use some of the skills that they've been developing and they have some choices about how they do that. But it's really on them to be um, you know, thoughtful and understanding of one another as they figure out the solution to this problem.
0: You know, one of the things that and this is just like a maybe it's not a great tip for the listener, but one of the things that helped me in this kind of circumstance is to like remove the pressure of being somewhere on time, because in mm-hmm. a situation like that, I mean, Aside from doctor's appointments and things like that where I like I know that we really need to respect, you know, the person who's on a schedule, um, you know, if we're going to a birthday party or wherever, it's just kind of like if I need to let go of being somewhere on time to make sure that this doesn't blow up because I don't have time to handle it in the way that it's going to best serve me and my kids, mm-hmm. let go of being on time because that. I think that that can give you time to cool things down. But so often we're just go, go, go. We got to go. We got to do it right now. And if we can just step back, take a deep breath, like you say, stop first, um, that'll be helpful. I know that's hard, though, because people hate being late.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, they don't like listening to their kids fight either. (laughs) So, um, you know, I think that this is one of those trade offs of, Knowing that it is going to take some time and effort to get some of these behaviors under control and to help your kids realize that these are moments where they really can treat each other better and have more fun with one another. And we can't do it all the time. And maybe it's not going to be when you're really feeling pressured to get somewhere. And that's okay. But maybe the next time something happens, you can think about, okay, maybe this is a good moment. You know, maybe it'll take an extra 10, 15 minutes. Maybe this is a time for me to do that. And, you know, when you invest that time, the kids will remember that so that the next time that there's an issue, you can help them remember back. Remember when we had that issue about the stuffies, you know, everybody was really upset about that. We couldn't figure out how to to decide who was going to get what. But you guys figured out a great way to do it. You decided that we would use a timer. Can we use something like that to deal with this situation? So it's kind of helping them see the connections across these isolated, seemingly isolated incidents. But, you know, really what they're learning are some core principles of, we're having an interpersonal issue here. Um, I do remember some ways that we were successful in the past for dealing with it. Let's try that again. And that could be a really cool thing for them to be able to to really hold on to and use in different situations.
0: All right, friends. that's This is a big takeaway from the episode. We're giving our kids ownership to own this story and figure this out. We have to teach it first, though. Um, Dr. Lori, where can people sign up for the More Fun with Brother, Sisters and Brothers program?
1: Yeah, check out funwithsistersandbrothers.org. There's information on the website that describes the program and the research study that's a part of it. So see if that's right for you. There's an application right there and then we'll be back in touch with you.
0: I love it. Okay, we always wrap up with some end of the podcast questions here. So I'm curious, in all your years of research and, and work, what is something professionally or personally that you haven't done that you would still like to do? Well, it's on my list. I want to write a book about all of this.
1: (laughs) And I'm hoping to get started next academic year.
0: That's so exciting. How do you like being in Boston? I love Boston. I love Boston.
1: Yeah, I did my freshman year of college here and took me years to get back. So it's been lovely.
0: I have to ask, did you spectate the Boston Marathon on Monday or did you hear all about it? (laughs)
1: Yeah, we live about two blocks away from uh the route. So it's very, very cool.
0: Oh, that's great awesome.
1: for it. And there's still a lot of people in the city wearing the Boston Marathon jacket. So it's really very, very cool to see them and they're exhausted. But uh-huh. they had a great time.
0: Um, I've run it three times, so I'm I'm a big fan of Really? Yeah. Wow. I'm a big fan of the sport and um big I love running the Boston Marathon. It's it's so much fun and It's like one of the most special days of the year in the running community. So it's so cool to me that you live like right on the course.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) What is the best, most recent book you've read? You know, I would say that
1: Michael Lewis's book, The Premonition, has been really cool. I don't know if you've seen this book, but it's about the science that's been going on for actually decades about pandemics Mm. that we knew nothing about. And here we here we are. Um, But on the back of the book, there's a testimonial from someone that basically says, I'd read a history of the stapler if it was written by Michael Lewis. So it's like, he's such a great writer. So it was really an amazing, amazing nonfiction book. I usually read a lot of fiction. So this was really well done.
0: Now, was this written pre or post pandemic? Or I mean, I should say during pandemic. During. Okay. During.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: Um, All right, well, what is your last message to leave with our audience today?
1: Just that there is hope. These are special relationships. Call your sibling. (laughs) Take them seriously. Treasure them. These are the longest relationships you're going to have throughout your life. Your siblings are there to support you for you to support them. You're not getting along well with a sibling or there's been a cutoff or any other drama. Never too late. There's always hope.
0: There is always hope. Go say that in front of the mirror, friends. Dr. Lori Kramer, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Lindsay. It was a pleasure.
0: All right, everybody. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Dr. Lori, for coming on the show. Appreciate all of the insightful advice and tips you've given us. And I hope that somebody here today, I know somebody here today is walking away with some extra tools in their pocket. At least I am friends connect with us on Instagram. We are why is everyone yelling over there? We have a Facebook group as well. And you can also find me personally on Instagram. I am Lindsay Hine 626 over there. If you have any suggestions for guests on this show, you can always email me, lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com. You can fill out a form on our website, sandyboyproductions.com, or just send us an Instagram message. That might be the easiest way, actually, to suggest anybody you'd love to hear. And uh, I just hope this podcast is bringing you a little bit of hope, inspiration, laughter, all of the above. Thanks for being here. Have a really great rest of your day. And... We will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?